0: Scripture reading will be from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. When the woman had saw the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word just shows us how good you are, how you are the best, the preeminent one in our lives. And you've made us to know you in intimacy, in oneness. In purity of our worship. Lord, we recognize that we have an enemy who is a deceiver and the father of lies. Lord, that every good thing that you sow, he will sow bad and evil next to it. Father, I thank you that you've given us your spirit and you've opened our eyes and given us the spirit of truth to discern what is right and what is good. Lord, may we trust you, may we love you with our whole heart this morning to obey you and to see that you are good, to taste and see, God, that you are faithful and that may influence our decisions from this day forward. We entrust you to the teaching of your word, God, by the teacher and the spirit whom you've given to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, I just wanted to say thank you for those who gave the missionary moment this morning. First and foremost, that was awesome to hear the Lord's work in Tunisia. Um, So thank you for traveling all this way. I also wanted to acknowledge uh, that it is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and Mike and I were joking yesterday on our way back home that, you know, Charlie, just classic Charlie, you know, uh, bringing last year that we're going to do Sanctity of Life every year, uh, we're going to have baby dedications, and then, you know, forgetting, and then I was laughing, and I said to myself, but you know what, I also forgot, (laughs) and I'm teaching this Sunday. And uh, maybe I was going to do something on that, but it totally slipped my mind too. So I had, it was kind of a humbling moment there, where I I understood where Charlie was coming from in that. Um, and then I was just thinking back in uh, his hill right now, and uh, teaching there, we are currently going through this with the students, our first year students, a speaking methods class, and where they get to stand up and give a devotion in front of their peers for ten to twelve minutes. And I'm the one leading that class, and I thought, wow, the timing was just perfect for that. Right in between those two weeks of speaking, I get to speak. And they get to now critique all the uh, things that I was critiquing them on for their grade. So I look forward to finding those in my mailbox (laughs) this week when I get back to his home. Thank you to Charlie and all the elders for just inviting me to speak. And um, recently... A thought has been pervading my mind that I hope to communicate with you this morning that will help me understand this truth more, and I pray will be an encouragement to you as well and a blessing in your life with the Lord. The thought has been on failure. Uh, Failure and how the enemy lies to us in our failures and how the Lord is faithful to use our failures in what he has planned for us in the future. And to be honest, we have failed often. We we fail uh, a great number of times, even in just everyday circumstances, Uh, whether that is great or small, depending on how you may judge that. Recently, dad fails have been uh, frequent in my life. Also, speaking with Michael not that long ago, he asked me, so have you had any dad fails yet? I just kind of laughed and said, honestly, no, not really, nothing too crazy has happened. And then, you know, lo and behold, a week later, I sit Brielle down on the, uh, on the ground right in front, and I'm like, yeah, she can sit, this is cool. You know, and I look the other way, I look back and watch the sea, boom, face plant right into the ground. And though she was sitting, she wasn't sitting quite that well yet. So I was like, ah, dang it, confession, dad fail. But failure um, in our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we do fail. And it is an unfortunate thing. It's something that we may beat ourselves up for. We may even live in a wrongful guilt and fear based on our failure. And I think that uh, because at, we are Christians and we have the Spirit of God that lives within us, maybe even more so than the world we recognize when we fail. We really see our failure because we see it in light of a holy, perfect God whom we have come to know. And we often maybe think to ourselves, why are we failing when we know the one who is perfect? And maybe that frustrates you like it frustrates me. The thought of this uh, idea of failure came up in my mind recently. I've been thinking on it. Last and I was invited down to a... a a youth rally it's basically a couple of churches convening together and I got to give the message on Romans chapter 1 verse 16 which says for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first then to the Greek so i was thinking about this often paul's you know first couple of words there i he you know puts himself into this category in the very beginning of the book from his example I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know, the thought just came to me. Why does he have to say that? Why, why is he even uh, putting himself in that into that category? Is, you know, what does that mean even to, to be ashamed of the gospel? You know, what, what is his encouragement to this church to follow his example? You know, to not be ashamed of the gospel, God's Son, the, you know, Christ Himself. You know, the gospel, we often think, good news. Good news about what? Well, someone died for my sins. Well, okay, that's great. But who died for your sins? That's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. You know, if it was just anybody that died, well, that doesn't really hold much power. But it's the fact that God's Son came for us, lived a perfect life, and took our sin and shame. He is the gospel. So, if we are... Failing or walking in a manner that's unworthy of the gospel, he says. Then shame sometimes comes into our lives. We are failing as a role as a, as ambassadors if we are choosing anything or anyone other than Christ and to know Him in the power of His resurrection. So you know that word ashamed. What does that mean? So I started looking into that a little bit more, and it just means to be embarrassed or guilty of one's actions, characteristics, or associations. And the first thing that came to my mind was Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Adam, oh, Adam, such a failure. Eve, such a failure. How did they not know? They walked with God. And then I had to check myself because I said, well, I too am like Adam and Eve. I know God, and he lives within my heart, and I have believed the lies of deception. You know, I think of just uh, in, that, in that definition there, to be embarrassed or guilty of one's actions. When I think of the word embarrassed, again, maybe because I have a new baby, first thing I think of is, you know, dad jokes. You know, you're with your dad, and, and your dad just has the worst jokes, and you're with your friends, and you're just, you know face-palming, like, Dad, please stop. You know, and you love him because he's your dad, and you kind of even love him more because he's so awkward, but at the same time, when you're with your friends, you're like, Dad, come on, man. get together, you know, your dad driving you to your, on your dates together. You're just like, please, just normal. Just. <laughs> Maybe don't even say anything. That would be normal for a while for me. Those have increased in my life recently from what students have told me. Or guilty, he says, to be embarrassed or guilty of one's actions. So you can say, yeah, I've fallen into that as well. Just recently, we have, um, at his hill all the packages come to the office. And so where I work, I usually just collect all of our packages and I come home and drop them all off. Well, I have this really terrible habit of always looking at, you know, who's the package for and then where it's from. I don't know why. It's like I don't even think about it. I just do it. So it's Christmas time. Packages are flooding in. You know, I want to make sure that I'm getting mine, but I also want to make sure I'm not leaving any of Jules there. And so I go to the, uh, the table where all the packages come in on, and I see Jules' name, and I do it. That bad habit just creeps up on me. I see Jules' name, and then I see where it's from, and I know immediately that's my Christmas gift. Right? And guilt comes heavily upon me at that point I take this package home and I walk home and it's like I can barely even walk into the door and before I give Jewel the Christmas present she said did you look where it's from <laughs> I couldn't even confess in time there's nowhere to hide nowhere to run though I wanted to I have to come home right and I said yes and I'm sorry right? this is the immediate, like, I did it, I confess, and I know I shouldn't have it, and just the guilt is eating me up, and I couldn't even confess it fast enough before she even asked. But this, when we come back to, to Genesis here, it's more than just looking at, you know, Christmas gift prematurely, ruining a surprise. It's, it's more than just being embarrassed by your dad's jokes, right? It's oftentimes we are embarrassed or guilty of our actions or our association maybe with Jesus. And we say, but why? How? The savior of our souls, the giver of every good thing. Why would we ever deny him? And I want to come back to this passage in Genesis in the very beginning and address this point. And it's as as Jack said in the very beginning, because we have an enemy who is real. We have an enemy who is a master deceiver and a father of lies. And in the very beginning, when we see Adam and Eve, before sin even enters the world, we know from the Genesis 1 and 2 that what God creates is good. And there's the sense where God is walking with them, the reality of that God is walking with them in the garden. Fellowship is there. Harmony is there. Goodness is at its perfect ideal. But the serpent comes, who is more crafty than the other beasts of the field, and he lies to them about the tree, and it says, when they made the choice, when they made their choice in their independence to define what was good and what was bad, to be like God and create their own definition of good, the result... Starting in verse 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the coolness of the day, and man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. What I want to make very clear in the beginning is that God did not make us to know and live with Him with any sense of fear, with any sense of guilt, or with any sense of embarrassment. God did not make you to live in relationship with him with any fear, any guilt, or any kind of shame. God has made us to know, as he did with Adam and Eve, intimacy. To know the spirit and the breath and the life of God within us. Oneness that is there. freedom. That is there. Any of these trees, eat freely. They're yours. Beast of the field, name them. It's yours. Ground, cultivate, is to be a blessing to you. And to walk with confidence in relationship to him. Fear, embarrassment, and guilt comes from sin. That is sin's domain. And it is not God's. It is not. Gods, But we, as we know from Adam in the book of Romans, says through one man's disobedience, sin enters the world, and we are related to Adam. Therefore, we know and we've inherited the reality and the nature of sin that is a product of that. So therefore, when we fail, like Adam, the natural response of the human is to hide from the presence of the Lord. Guilt. It is to be afraid. Of the presence of the Lord. That is fear. It is you know to recognize even our nakedness, our actions, the embarrassment, that's there. When I was thinking of this reality, you think, okay, well, maybe that was just the case with Adam and Eve. But no, we see even, I want you to flip into John chapter 18. This was even the case, this potential. In failure of guilt, fear, and embarrassment was even the case for the disciples. Specifically one man. And that was Peter. This reality of sin that we've all been cast into even affects even one who lived and saw the Messiah. He saw Jesus' actions. Right? He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was there at the healing of Jairus' daughter. Right? He is there in the garden with Jesus. He heard the words. He's even the one that said, You are the Christ, the only begotten of God. He also says, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? And these are incredible proclamations, incredible truths that he has seen. But he too, the reality and the, the deception of sin can even come, and the failure to uh, not walk in a manner worthy of the gospel even came to someone like Peter. And before we get to John 18, hopefully you're, hopefully you're there, I just want to make a quick side note. And it's a side note that came and I heard from Ravi Zacharias. And it was, it's, it's just a, a note that I've taken comfort and appreciation. And as we look at this hard subject like failure, and we identify in the beginning here with this failure, and it's that the Bible speaks to failure. The Bible, he says, is that we we know it's true from, you know, maybe an existential level because the Bible does not cut out these passages. The Bible speaks to the state of a fallen world that we live in. It speaks the state of, you know, Noah's lewdness after he comes off the ark. It talks about Abraham and, you know, trying to almost give away his wife multiple times. It doesn't skip Judges chapter 19. Sometimes we wish it did. Right? It talks about David and his sin with Bathsheba. And then the snowball effect that comes into Uriah. And we see the reality that sin is present in this world. Even it affects those who have made incredible proclamations of the Lord, who made incredible strides with Jesus. Those who know God, like us, we know and we see the reality that there is also failure in the world. And the Bible speaks to that. You know, and if there's ever a chance, you know, for someone, if this was, if the Bible was just a fairy tale, if it was just make-believe, then the authors would not write these things in there. You know, they'd only highlight the good. They'd only bring out the best. If they want to try to make you believe something... Right then, then only talk about the good things that are of God, but the Bible is true, the Bible is real, it's inspired by God because it does not skip over these stories, and specifically, what I want to look at today is a person that I think we can identify as well as Adam and that's Peter himself and so it's in John chapter 18, not to work through the whole passage, but just to hit a couple of the um, points here Jesus has just been taken by force into the garden he gives himself over to the authorities after Peter strikes with the sword Jesus you know reprimands him put the sword into the sheath Peter the cup in verse 11 he says which the father has given to me shall I not drink it it says in verse 15 then chapter 18 that Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was another disciple now, that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Verse 17 Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. It's the first of Peter's denials of Jesus. And it's the first thing that Jesus had predicted. Jesus told him that you will deny me three times. But moving on further in the passage, chapter 18, starting verse 25, it says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by the fire, and they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. That's the second time. Verse 26, one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, dang it, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Then Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. That last verse there, chapter chapter 18, verse 27, in one gospel, as one translation writes it, says that when the rooster crowed a third time, Jesus looked back and met Peter's eye. And Peter began to weep. And I, I find that such a, a heart-wrenching account. You know, just the understanding, Jesus knowing it, Peter seeing it, and his heart remembers Jesus' word. His eyes meet Jesus and he feels the weight of his choices. He feels the weight of his sin. The reality of the deception and the evil of sin. I also find it to be one of the saddest verses in Scripture because I again relate to Peter. I am like Peter. He is no different than me. Because the reality is that we have all believed deceptions we have all been deceived we all make choices throughout our life that we are not it it is not true or it is not an association it is not of the character of God and we believe that in these choices that in this one we will find a better life than maybe what Jesus has promised to us you know we will save our face more purely than if we associated with Jesus. In a sense, every time we sin, in a sense, we are denying that we know Jesus, that we know the author of truth. Every time we make that choice, we are denying our association and the character that God has sown into us of himself, who does not sin. Every time we choose any kind of sin, we are then not walking in a manner of the life that we have been saved for. That choice to sin is to believe the lie that whatever that choice may be is greater than the person of Jesus. It will give me something better than what Jesus could or has given me. Or that choice will satisfy me better than what Jesus can. And we would say, no, absolutely not. Jesus is the giver of all good things. Jesus is perfect. There is no greater gift. Yes, and we say that, and we believe that. But how often do our choices reflect that? You know What, 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 cho- what choice is that for you? I, I don't know. There, there are many of us in this room and that may you have know, struggled with many of these different choices, and maybe just pride, public image, reputation at work, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life. And maybe it's like Peter, fear of man. What would come of me? I need to save my life so I'm not going to associate with Jesus. In order to save my life, I need to deny him. And he made the choice for himself, of himself. And we, like Peter, who know the Spirit of God, in a sense, when we choose that sin, our hearts know it. And that's the Spirit's job, is to not put us to shame or not put us in this form of guilt or fear, But it's to convict. very Big difference. We'll we'll, we'll touch on that. But it's to convict our hearts. And it's in a sense that conviction is like the eyes of our heart meeting the eyes of Jesus. We see that we have believed a lie. We see what that one thing promised us or what it would give to us was not in its essence as good as we thought when we made the choice. And sin wants us to stay there the flesh wants us to remain and abide in that failure in that failure and believing that there is shame then that is there for you that yeah you are a Christian and yet you still messed up woe is you you should stay with that guilt because you should not have done that or maybe in fear saying yeah God is holy and you have sinned Therefore, be very, very afraid. Or, hey, you have sinned, and you have messed up and fallen short, so therefore you need to do this, 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 and this in order to get back into this right standing with God. That's where sin wants us to remain or abide in. In the fear, in the guilt, hiding ourselves, fleeing from God. That's the reality of sin when we make that choice. And if you're like me, this can be frustrating Why do we make this choice? Why do we believe that lie? You know, like Peter, why did he choose, after seeing all that he saw, hearing all that he heard, he left everything and followed Jesus. Why did he deny him? And again, I think so often it's because we become enraptured with the temporal things of life. We, become, we allow ourselves to become enraptured. I think the, the first part there, we allow ourselves. We, we, we put ourselves in a place to be enraptured, full view of that which is temporal, job, status, pride, money, family, career, whatever it is. And by becoming enraptured with the temporal, we lose sight of the eternal. You know, those those things that we become enraptured by, they may not even be bad things. They may not, you know, it may not even be those big red sign, you know, glowing things saying, sin, 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 right? It may be good things, great things, but things that are not the best, things that are not Jesus. People, but they're not Jesus. I once heard a, uh, an illustration of this. It was by a guest speaker we had at a Thanksgiving conference, and it's, really stuck with me. I wanted to share with you guys. And again, I think in the context of my life is because fatherhood, right, and with a little girl. So it's about this father, and he has this little girl, say six, seven, eight years old. He said, and they're in the store one day, and they're walking through the store aisles, and, you know, on the end caps of H-E-B or Walmart, they always put the things that, you know, are meant to catch your eye, the, the really good stuff that, you know, you shouldn't miss up on this. So Cinnamon toast Crunch is always on the end. And you know, they want you to see that. You're like, oh, yeah, I need that. And for this, it was a pink pearl necklace, but it was obviously fake. Okay, it's, it was something that was at a grocery store, right? So it was like five bucks. But this little girl, right, she sees it, and her eyes are open to it, and she goes, Daddy, Daddy, I want that pink pearl necklace. And he looks at it and says, well, and you're trying to teach his daughter, you know, you can't just get everything you want. He says, let's go back home, and I'll give you some chores, give you some responsibilities, and I'll you know, give you some money for, as you do these things, as you accomplish these things, and I'll bring you back here, I promise, and I will, we will purchase that with the money that you made. And you know, she's okay, that sounds great. So she goes home, she tells her mom the big plan. You know, She starts doing these little things. She's six, right, so it's not anything too big. Finally, a week later, she has enough money. She knows she's counted all. She's included the tax. Dad's a good dad. And they go to the store, and she buys that pink necklace, and you girls know, rips it open, first thing, puts it on, and she can't take it off. Everywhere she goes, everything she does, she has that pink necklace around her neck. So some time passes. Her dad comes into her room to tuck her in at, at night. And as he's tucking her in, she's all ready to go to sleep. He asks her a question. And he says, little girl, baby, whatever, didn't come with a name. (laughs) He says, would you give your daddy your pink necklace? And her eyes open and look at him with astonishment. She says, no, daddy. No, I love this pink necklace. He says, okay, okay. Kisses her on the forehead, turns around, says goodnight, walks up the door. Hits the lights. Next day passes, he comes back into her room, same routine, comes to tuck her in at night, and he asks the same question Would you give your daddy your necklace? And now she's a little bit more uh, on edge about this question. All right? She realizes what she would have to give up, and she says, No, daddy, no, I love this necklace, I cannot give it to you. He says, Okay, kisses her on the forehead, says goodnight, walks out the door. Third night comes, he's walking over to her bed, kneels by her bed, and before he can even ask the question, she says, Daddy, I want to give you my pink necklace. He says, thank you. She takes it off her neck, He takes it, puts it in his pocket, kisses her on the forehead, says goodnight. He's walking out the door and he stops. And he turns back. Walks back over to the bed and in his other pocket reaches in and pulls out a real pink pearl necklace of great value. Her eyes get huge, right? And he puts it on her neck and he says, I've been waiting for you to give me that which was fake so that I could give you that which was real. Made up story. But I think shows often the choices that we make. We settle and we believe that the fake is what is real. That fake, whatever that choice may be, we so often hold on to these things so tightly. For Peter, that would have been his reputation. That would have been his life. And he's holding on to it so tightly. And Jesus says, you know, give up your life. Tear your cross. And he says, no, I cannot. And as he says that is denying Jesus. But God is a good and a wonderful Father. He's a good and a wonderful Father. And He does not leave us in that broken state that sin wants us to stay in. That shame and embarrassment and guilt. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. And this book doesn't end after chapter 20. It doesn't end with you know, chapter 18, 19 goes to the cross, and 20 the empty tomb, period. But there is a chapter 21 of the Gospel of John that zooms back in on one person. And I love that the Gospel of John adds this in. Because all the Gospels add Peter's denial, but they don't always add in what Jesus does after. John chapter 21, he calls to the disciples as they are fishing, uh, one of the disciples says, it is Jesus. And so Peter puts his clothes on and he jumps in that water. And he is swimming as fast as he can to get to the land. And Jesus has breakfast there waiting for them. And he turns the attention to Peter. Chapter 21, verse 15. These are familiar words. You've read these words. But to be reminded of them. It says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he said to him, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. In Peter's guilt and in his shame, you know, there's a couple observations make here. Jesus doesn't tell him, Peter, never sin again. Don't ever do that again. He doesn't say that specifically. He doesn't tell him, Hey, Peter, next time this comes up, you better not deny me. You better do better next time. I expect better from you next time. And he doesn't say, hey, Peter, tonight, just to, you know, make up for all the denial, you need to stay up to this late of an hour, You need to pray this many prayers in order to get back into standing with me, and then we can move forward. He asks them just a simple four-letter, or 4 Worded question Do you love me? And that is that carries so much weight there. You know, what's interesting about this question is that Jesus knows the answer already, he's not asking this question to figure out, you know, do you love me? Because I was a little bit confused back there in John chapter 18. You know, if you really love me, because I, you know, was there and I I totally thought you were going to make this work and you know, have my back, but you didn't. So, do you love me? Now, Jesus knew already that he was going to deny him. And Jesus knows the heart of Peter. John chapter 2, Jesus knows the heart of every man. You know, And Peter knows that. Peter knows that Jesus knows his heart. He says at the very end, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. So what's with the question? It's for Peter. It's for Peter to hear. It's for Peter to remember To simply respond to God's pursuit of him with love. Not works, not better, not never sinning again, but do what is right. Do the first and foremost commandment. Love God. Love me. To love me. You think, that it can't be that simple. It just cannot be that simple. When we fail, it cannot just be love me. But it is. It is that simple because what that means, he's already said in John chapter fourteen, John chapter fourteen verse fifteen. If you love me, then you will obey my commandments. Right? It starts becoming enraptured with that which is eternal, enraptured with Jesus, not enraptured with that which is temporal, that which is passing, that which is fading away, but coming to the heart, back to the heart of God in His love for us, and to reciprocate our love for Him. When we love Him, we will obey Him. When we obey him, then we find that actually, guys, we can trust him in everything. Yes, even that one thing. Like, really? Even that thing? Yeah, that thing too. You can trust him. And when we trust him, then as you probably know, in a, in a season of a storm and you trusted him in that precious promise, then you can praise him. You're filled with praise, filled with adoration. And when we are living lives of worship and praise to God as he deserves, then we are fellowshipping with God as he made us for back in the garden. Full circle. As we're praising him, we are fellowshipping with him. fellowshipping with him in oneness, in intimacy, with confidence, without fear, without shame, and without guilt. And yes, even in our failures he brings that to our mind because he is the good shepherd of our souls he guides peter's heart back to himself as he does with us and that is the spirit's job and that is what conviction is right when we, when we fail and we sin and we believe the lie the flesh tells us you're condemned And condemnation and shame causes us to run from God, to hide ourselves from God's presence. Conviction in the Spirit's work is to show us our failure, but not to leave us there, but to remember that God is good and he is gracious, full of loving kindness and patience for us. And conviction, as the Spirit's work does to us, brings us back to the heart of God and says, love him. Choose, in this moment, where you want to run and hide, to follow and to proclaim, God, thank you. I love you. Conviction draws us in our failure. Shame drives us in our failure. Where the enemy tells us to draw away and run from Christ, Jesus' word to you in our failures is to come, is to lay it down at his feet, and to remember like Peter here, but to remember in our hearts that Christ has taken all of our sin and shame. All means all, as our students have reminded me this past week in multiple different lessons. All means all, and Jesus has taken all of our failure, all of our sin, all of our shame. It is not what he desires for you. It's not how you've been made. He invites us in our failure by his great faithfulness to lay our guilt at his feet. Remember that he's taken it all upon himself on the cross, and it is finished. It is finished. There is nothing more than is required of his life. And so now for you as a Christian, you can confidently say with Christ, even in the times we fail, that it is no longer I who live. It is Christ who redeems me. It is Christ who lives in me. That is walking well in a manner worthy of the gospel. As one writer says, it's walking like a dead man. Walking like a dead man. Because you have nothing to lose. You are dead. You have died, Colossians chapter 3. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore... Consider your of your earthly body as dead. You have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Praise God. So fight. We walk like dead men, knowing that there is nothing good that which is dead. There is nothing good that is apart from Christ. No life that is good are found outside of Jesus. And so when we're in that moment of temptation to choose that which is temporal, remember, this has no benefit for you. There is nothing here for you apart from Christ and His work. Even those things that are good, if Christ is not first, then we are loving good things not to the best of our ability and not as God has brought them in our life to love them. That's been a huge encouragement for me. To walk as a dead man. To walk as a dead man. There is nothing more than what I've been given in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you just for just the, the truth that I know we would all know. That you have taken all upon yourself on the cross. All sin, all shame, all guilt, all fear. God, it is not of you you've taken that to the grave with you, and us who have believed with you, as your word says in Romans 6, have died with you. And as you have been raised back to life, so have we in newness of life, not a better life, not a different life, but your life that has defeated all sin and all shame. And so God, I pray that our choices would match the reality of our heart, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. And we would not make choices that walk in a manner unworthy of your name. But God, in your faithfulness, knowing the reality of our life, you know that when we will fail, God, in that moment, just remind us to remember you have taken it all and to come back to you with a heart that says, God, I love you. Thank you for bringing me and making me rise in your newness of life. And may we walk forward confidently with you, bringing this sin, bringing um, these thoughts to your obedience, God, that we may know you more intimately every day. In your name we pray, amen.